This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Label Sternbach and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words of the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Hi, I'm Freddie Bell, and welcome back to New Beginnings. And joining us today is Dr. Michael Osterholm. He's a well-known epidemiologist and has written a couple of books regarding COVID. Welcome back, doctor. And I'm curious as we get started, what's the outlook regarding COVID, not only locally in Minnesota, but around the world? This is what I call a glass half full and a glass half empty moment. And uh, looking at the trend data, I think we have some optimism that uh, is justified. First of all, in most places with the recent surges, we're now at a point where we're seeing these improvements I just noted. Uh, Really, I could share a whole list of countries like Austria, the Czech Republic, Greece, Italy, Malaysia, Poland, Singapore, where that's exactly the case. The recent surges have appeared to peak and are on their way down. Now, of course, depending on the timing and size of the peak, overall activity in some of these places is still quite high. So it's not like reaching a peak suddenly gives you the all clear. Even in the recovery phase, there can be a lot of virus out there. And a number of these places still have a ways to go before they reach levels being reported prior to this most recent surge. But overall, it's a good sign, and things are at least heading in the right direction. Let me just emphasize, as I have, the real brunt of this pandemic is behind us. We're not going to see days again like 2020, 2021, and 2022. But it still is unclear what we will continue to see with COVID activity in our communities. And so we'll try to put some perspective to that. If we look at the data that uh, we've had an opportunity to review recently for the United States, across all parts of the country, wastewater levels have started to decline for the first time in several months. Regionally, we're seeing this happen in the Midwest, Northeast, and the Western United States. That said, even with these declines, COVID activity is still considered high nationally. And in the southern U.S., levels have not yet shown a clear drop. So again, lots of virus still circulating out there and plenty of room for improvement. But at the very least, things are no longer continuing just to climb up higher and higher. Likewise, things are improving when it comes to hospitalizations. As of late January, just under 22,000 Americans were hospitalized with COVID. For comparison, when January began, hospitalizations stood at over 30,000 individuals. So now we've had at least three consecutive weeks of declines. Again, good news, but it's not perfect news by any stretch of the imagination. Unfortunately, we have yet to see any clear improvements in terms of deaths. Granted, the death data lags behind with the latest complete numbers actually from early January. But what is sobering is that the weekly deaths at this time are close to 2,300. Yes, most of these are in those aged 65 years of age and older, and in fact, most in those 75 years of age and older. This surely does not minimize these deaths at all. These are our grandfathers, our grandmothers, our brothers and sisters. And frankly, should I have a serious illness with COVID, I'm in that age group. But as of last week in this country, COVID was still the number seventh killer. That's sobering. And yet, 
less than a quarter of Americans have received the latest dose of vaccine, and for those 65 years of age and older, coverage is just a bit higher, but still remains at only 41%. So we have a lot of work to do here to help protect this population. So in terms of vulnerability, I'd say we're still largely a sitting duck when it comes to COVID, even though things hopefully will continue to cool off in the weeks and months ahead. Now, if you're under age 65, many of you will say, well, I've moved on from COVID, we're done. One of the things I keep in mind is just the curveballs that COVID can continue to throw at us. For example, right now, Japan is dealing with another sharp rise in hospitalizations just four months after their last big peak. Why is this? Could this happen in the U.S.? We don't know. However, we have to be prepared for that possibility. Some people continue to say it's seasonal, even many of my colleagues, despite there is absolutely no compelling data to support this. If this virus is seasonal, why have there been recent surges throughout the Southern Hemisphere in the middle of their summer? For example, in places like Australia and New Zealand where it's summertime. Even now, there are upticks in Argentina, Colombia, and Panama. So we have a lot to learn and things can quickly change. But at the end of the day, I always feel better when things are heading down and not up. We've got to leave it right there. That's Dr. Michael Osterholm. I'm Freddie Bell, and it's time for my Song of the Week. Elvis Presley was remembered on what would have been his 88th birthday in Tupelo, Mississippi, where he was born and raised. He was recognized with the dedication of a commemorative marker designating the town as a part of the Mississippi Blues Trail. Meanwhile, in Memphis, Elvis Presley's ex-wife Priscilla Presley hosted a party on the lawn at Graceland. At that time, an annual Elvis Day proclamation was made. And whether you're a card-carrying Elvis fan club member or just like an excuse to enjoy a special day, here are some ways to celebrate. Graceland throws down with a week of parties and events each year. This year, the annual birthday ceremony was broadcast online for those who couldn't make it to the party in person. In Memphis, you could have stopped by Elvis's statue on Bill Street or have taken your picture with the king or eat one of his favorite treats, which is fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Better yet, how about enjoying my favorite song of the week? Released in 1957, it's Elvis with Jailhouse Walking through a party in the county jail The prison band was there, they began to wail The band was jumping and the joint began to swing You should have heard this locked out jailbird sing Everybody let it rock Everybody in 
This Elvis Presley with my song of the week, Jailhouse Rock. I'm Freddie Bell, and be sure to download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app for free from the Google Play Store or the App Store on Apple. What a wonderful weekend, and now it's time to share what happened this week. In 1922, Reader's Digest went on sale for the very first time. In 1963, Mona Lisa was unveiled at New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art. In 1964, Beano invaded the United States. Thousands of fans crowded New York's John F. Kennedy Airport to watch as the Fab Four arrived in the United States for the first time. They appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. In 1965, boxer Cash Clay became a Muslim and adopted the name Muhammad Ali. In 1985, New York, New York became the official anthem of New York City. In 87, Dennis Conner and the crews of Stars and Stripes won the America's Cup. In 1994, Michael Jordan signed a contract to play baseball for the Chicago White Sox organization. In 1999, Jordan's King Hussein died at the age of 63. In 2000, magician Doug Henning died in Los Angeles. He was just 52 years old. In 2016, the Peyton Manning-led Denver Broncos won Super Bowl 50 at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. The Broncos became champions for a third time after beating the Carolina Panthers 24-10. Linebacker Von Miller won the MVP award after recording two and a half sacks and forcing two fumbles. In 2016, Seattle Seahawks running back Marshawn Lynch retired from football in the form of a tweet during Super Bowl 50. In 2018, Oxford Dictionary recognized hangry, H-A-N-G-R-Y, as a real word and added it to the dictionary. In 2019, a measles outbreak was declared in the Philippines after 26 people died in over 1,800 cases. And in 2021, Sarah Thomas became the first woman to officiate a Super Bowl. Tampa Bay beat Kansas City 31-9, and Tom Brady recorded his seventh Super Bowl victory. It happened this week. Minnesota is home to a robust network of more than 300 food shelves that may be able to offer additional food support to families and individuals who are suffering from hunger. Hunger Solutions can locate a food shelf near you. Call the Minnesota Food Helpline at 1-888-711-1151, 888-711-1151, or use the interactive map at hungersolutions.org. This message powered by the Minnesota Department of Health. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us.
This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. It's that time of year again. Turnkeys and pumpkins are in the air, and you know what that means. It's Roth conversion time. Join us over the next few weeks as we dive into the details of exactly how to determine if a Roth conversion is right for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and now it's time to talk finance with Label Sternbach. Label is an Amazon bestselling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Okay, Label, let's skip the basics and dive right into it. What do you think? Do you think uh, who would benefit most from Roth conversions right now? Welcome back. Hey, so, I mean, that, that is such a great question, right? Because I, I, you know, I speak to so many people every week. And I mean, it really seems like everyone thinks that they are the ideal candidate for a Roth conversion. And they, you know, the question they always pose to me is, how much should I convert? But few people ask, should I convert? Right. That is really the question that needs to be asked is, should I convert? And predominantly, what I find is that there are a few type of people, a few different scenarios where Roth conversions is just, you know, it's a no brainer. Yes, you should do it. Um, you know, and then there's a few, you know, there's a, a few types of people where it's like, no, you should not do a Roth conversion at all because that will actually hurt you more than anything else that you'll do. Um, and for the vast majority of people, they, they, they're somewhere in this gulf between the two. And you really, you just got to do the math. You got to do the hard numbers and you got to see, does it make sense or not? So when we talk about who is right for a Roth conversion, who is the ideal person, the ideal person for a Roth conversion is going to be the person who their required minimum distributions during retirement far exceed their income needs in retirement, and it will push them into a higher tax bracket in the future, right? Those that That is the primary person. The secondary person who I see often is where you have a concern that right now you're a married couple, but that at some point in the future, you're going to be, you know, uh, the surviving spouse. You're re- really worried about the surviving spouse and them having to have, uh, you know, a huge tax bill, right? Because when you're married filing jointly, you've got this great tax credit, right? You've got double the, the income bracket. And if all of a sudden that gets divided in half, all of a sudden you may find yourself in a, in a much higher tax bracket. So if a very large portion of your retirement income is coming from traditional retirement accounts, um, and so you are worried about that, you're worried about what happens or it's a very real possibility, then those those two scenarios are the ones who I find really, you know, Roth conversions are very beneficial for. There's other people, a whole lot of people where they're in your, you're in this gray area where a Roth conversion may be helpful and may not be helpful, but the only way to tell is to, you know, really map it out and see what happens. Interesting. Everybody, we're talking with Label Sternbach. He is everything Roth conversion this week as we talk with him. It's really interesting on the definition that you've given. I'm just wondering if you can expand on that by uh, sharing your thoughts with us on the survivor tax bomb, the so-called double whammy of losing both the married filing jointly tax brackets and the loss of SS benefits. 
What would be the reason to, to do a, a Roth conversion in that scenario, sir? Yeah. So, so when we look at the surviving spouse, right? So you're going your whole life, right? You're married to the love of your life. You know, things are great. And then one person passes, right? I mean, that's usually the way it goes. Um, and at that point, you all of a sudden, right? That surviving spouse, you know, they, they get hit by what I call this double whammy where you have number one social security. They all of a sudden lose the smaller check. Right. So they went from having this, you know, you know, household income, you know, and oftentimes it can be as much as, you know, half of their retirement income that they're getting from Social Security just disappears overnight. Right. So you lose you lose that check, the smaller check. The other thing that happens is that you then get bumped up into a higher tax bracket, more than likely because you lose the married filing jointly, right? So when you have, you know, and that that affects a number of areas. You have the standard deduction. So right now the Tax Code and Jobs Act, which I know is set to expire in 2026, but it did create the standard deduction where instead of having a 0% tax bracket, we have a standard deduction that you can just take that right off of your tax return, that amount. And for a married couple, you know, that's almost $30,000. A married couple, you know, who's over 65, it's almost $30,000. That's a lot of money when you then consider the fact that, you know, 50, only 50 to 85% of their social security then has to be added back into their taxable income. So for many people in retirement, it is very possible that they won't be paying much in terms of income tax. When you suddenly take away, you have that standard deduction and then you have the bracket. So even if you were because of RMDs or because of, you know, the amount of money that you need to live off of that you're taking out of your traditional retirement accounts that pushed you up into, you know, let's say the 12% tax bracket as a married couple. But now as a single person, you're all of a sudden in, you know, the 22% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. And your lifestyle hasn't changed, right? The only thing that's changed is that you're no longer married and you're no longer getting, you know, a, a third or half of your social security, which is, you know, significant. So what do you do in that scenario? How would you advise? So so that's where you start to decide now while you're both healthy and young, right, to is Roth conversions a good idea, right, to to kind of diffuse this potential estate planning bomb, right, that that's going to go off. This is this potential tax bomb. Um, so you really got to think about that. Um, you know, you got to think about it from the context of, well, you know, maybe my required minimum distributions that the IRS is going to require me to take out of my, my retirement accounts, maybe they're going to be enough to cover my income, right? But they're going to push me up into a higher tax bracket. And if I have to now be paying that higher taxes as a single person, that may make me run out of money quicker, right? So you may want to do a small amount of conversions to bring that down. Or you may say, listen, the the likelihood is, is that, you know, my wife is going to survive me by a, a wide margin. And, you know, if that's the case that happens, I don't want her to be left with a huge tax liability. I don't want all this money to go to um, the IRS, I'd rather that, you know, her or my kids can benefit from it. And you go ahead and you do Roth conversions strategically so that you're saving money on taxes, mm-hmm. um, you know, or you're, you're not upsetting your financial security. Cause what if you live a long time, right? Um, so you don't want to sacrifice, you know, your financial security in 20 years from now, just to save some, some money, right. You know, upfront. 
Um, but that is that is definitely, you know, when you think about doing Roth conversions, that is something that you need to keep in mind. It's not just about you. It's also about your surviving spouse and your loved ones. So it's about the surviving spouse and your loved ones. So what about everybody else? How do, how do we capitalize on the lower tax rates? So, so for, you know, for the vast majority of people who are in between those two extremes, right, the extremes of, you know, well, my RMDs are going to be really small, so I don't have to worry about it. And I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement versus the people who they know for certain, right, that they're going to be paying more in taxes because they don't need those RMDs. Um, for the people who are in between, the only way you're going to know if you should do Roth conversions and how much should do, you should do is really by mapping it out, right? You need to say, you know, you need to you need to have an income plan that says this is how much I'm going to be taking from Social Security. This is how I'm going to spend down my retirement accounts. This is the anticipated return I'm going to get on those retirement accounts. You, and, and then you you know say, okay, this is where I'm spending it. And this is what the balance is going to be. And, you know, sometimes just spending down your retirement accounts first is all you need to do to bring those RMDs down. Or you may say, look at it and be like, wait, hey, look, in my 80s, my, when RMDs start to go crazy, my RMDs are really going to be enormous. And I think taxes are going to go up by, you know, 10, 20 percent, in which case it makes sense that now I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket to convert. And that will also answer the question of how much to convert. But you got to do those numbers. You got to really map it out. Um, and I'd love to say, like you know, uh, you know, I'd love to say, well, if you've got you know over a million dollars in your retirement accounts, then you should for sure do Roth conversions, right? It, it is very tempting to say numbers like that. But the fact is, is you know, in years of doing these analysis, I have yet to find a hard and fast rule of people who I you know consistently say you should do Roth conversions. Because there's always, there's always other considerations and you got to, you got to really look at the numbers and everyone's different. It's interesting. You just took away my next question because I was going to ask you, okay, a label what's A, what's B, what's C when you're considering whether or not a Roth conversion is right for you. So is there a, a global look at this to help to steer a family in the right direction or an individual in the right direction? Yeah, so they kind of the, the holistic view that you, well, you need to take a holistic view. That, I mean, that's the view, number one, right, is you need to take that holistic view. You need to look at, you need to say, you know, just like any business, right, just like a, any, you know, good accountant, you got to say, these are my incomes in retirement, right? And you do it year by year. This is where I'm, you know, receiving my income from. This is how much my account balances are going to grow. This is what my anticipated taxes are going to be, right? And then you map that out and then you say, you know, and, you know, as part of that, you'll do what are my required minimum distributions based on that anticipated balance. And in looking at that, you'll say, okay, well, listen, I right now this year, I'm going to be in the 12% tax bracket. I'm anticipating in 10 years from now, I'm going to be in the 22% tax bracket if nothing changes, right? Um, or I think that taxes are going to go up 10%, so therefore I'm going to be in the 22% tax bracket. And if that's the case, then I would save money by you know paying taxes now up front. But even if you think that that's the case, right, you want to then simulate that because Remember, if you're paying taxes up front, let's say you're paying, you know, uh, you know, most people con considering conversions are not in the 12%, but they're usually higher. 
Um, but let's say you're in the 12% tax bracket and you're like, okay, I'm going to max this out. Maybe I'll even go to the 22 or 24% tax bracket. That's a hit that you then need to recover, right? You need to know how much, how much do I need to save in taxes down the road in order for it to have been worthwhile for me to pay that taxes up front? Because remember, if you pay, you know, let's say you pay $20,000 in taxes to do that Roth conversion, you need to you need to figure out that you're going to be losing out on the use of that $20,000, the compounding growth of that $20,000 over the next 20, 30, 40 years of your retirement. And that's a lot of money, right? And generally speaking, we're not talking about, you know, just a one-time thing, right? Because usually you can't convert enough in just one year. You're going to do, you know, $20,000, $30,000 in taxes this year and then next year and then the year after that. And before you know it, right? You're now at $100,000, $150,000 in extra taxes that you're paying that need to, that you could have had compounding for you over time and may have made a lot more money for you than the amount of taxes that you would pay eventually, right? So you really need to do that math. And ultimately, I think, right, the real question you need to ask yourself is what is going to position yourself for better financial security, right? paying for the taxes up front now or paying it over time, right? And obviously, that means you got to keep your ear to the ground and they hear the rumblings in Congress. And if they talk about jacking up the tax rates, mm -hmm. right, be ready to do those conversions. But it also means knowing that, you know, these are these are the things that are important to, to me. These are the things that will hurt my financial future. These are the things that will strengthen my financial future, my financial security, so that you can act on them as life changes. Wow, we're just about out of time. Tell me what we can find if we go to yields4u.com right now. So if you go to yields4u.com, we've got a whole bunch of resources for you on this, including I teach a class regularly on how to minimize your taxes. Uh, we've got a in-depth Roth conversion class. I'm actually working on a piece of software that you can sign up for the beta for it. Uh, it's not ready for release yet, but it'll help you walk through all of those scenarios. And right now, if you want to reach out and you know we can uh, walk through those different scenarios for you, um, talk through should you do a conversion, how much should you do, what are the impacts of Social Security and the state planning? What happens if taxes go up? What happens if the Tax Cut and Jobs Act goes away? How does that actually impact your financial security? We can show you what all that looks like so that you can make an informed decision of how much should you convert and you know over what time period you should convert. Makes a lot of sense, and we got to leave it right there. If you like more information, go to the website, yields4u.com. That's yields, the number four, the letter u.com. Join us next week as we discuss specifically how to determine how much you should convert to Roth this year should you max out your current tax bracket or the next or go haul out and cover it all. And what about Irma? And this is New Beginnings. It's time for this morning's Words to the Wise. Give thanks for food. Today's Words to the Wise. Give thanks for food. It's easy to overlook the simple act of nourishment. Taking a moment to express the gratitude for the sustenance before you not only acknowledges the hand that cultivated and prepared it, but it also connects you to a larger cycle of life. Whether it's a small meal or a feast, the act of giving thanks fosters mindfulness and appreciation for the abundance that surrounds us. So before we eat, 
Pause and offer thanks for the nourishment that sustains our bodies, knowing that this small act can cultivate a spirit of gratitude that extends far beyond the confines of the dinner table. Today's words of the wise, give thanks for your food. And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Hi again, everyone. Welcome back to New Beginnings. And joining us is Kathy McClear. She's AARP's Minnesota State Director, and she's with us as we continue celebrating Black History Month in the month of February. And hello, Kathy. Good morning and welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. As we celebrate Black History Month, you're doing something that's really interesting. You have a relationship with black fraternities and sororities across the country. Yeah, and uh, we're really excited to be celebrating Black History Month um, and really proud to be working with our friends across the border in Wisconsin with the AARP Wisconsin State Office. Um, We'll be offering a virtual event so anybody in Minnesota or Wisconsin can join or if you're elsewhere, uh, you know, in the in the general vicinity in the Midwest. Um, the event is called the Divine Nine, the History of Black Fraternities and Sororities. And I got to tell you, Freddie, I was in a, a fraternity for women uh, when I was in college. Um, but boy, this the Divine Nine, this is a, this is a whole nother level. And this is an opportunity opportunity for folks to learn more about the Divine Nine and uh, the mission and the goals of black fraternities and sororities. When you mention as a whole nother level, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I mean, folks, you know, my fraternity for women uh, is uh, was Kappa Alpha Theta, and we say Theta for a lifetime. And I think when you encounter folks who are part of the Divine Nine, I mean, they really do live out their mission uh, throughout their lifetime. And so we're really excited. Um, the presenter for this one is Barbara Tolls, who's a member of the Sigma Gamma Rho sorority. Um, and she has really dedicated her life to the motto of her sorority, greater service, greater progress. Um, and so we're really excited to be um, offering this program to folks in Minnesota, as well as Wisconsin, uh, to learn about that rich history of black fraternities and sororities uh, and really understand who they are, why they were formed and their current commitment to improving the quality of life in their communities. It's really interesting, everyone. We're talking about fraternities and sororities and Dr. Toll, and I did say Dr. She, uh, Barbara Tolls, I should say, who's a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority, is leading in this discussion. So tell us uh, where it will take place, this virtual event, and how do you register for it? Sure. The Divine Nine, the History of Black Fraternities and Sororities, is being held on Tuesday, February 20th from 6 to 7 p.m. It's an online event, and you can find out how to register at aarp.org forward slash events. I can tell you that uh, I pledged uh, Kappa Alpha Psi when I was in college, and I didn't make it all the way through for a number of reasons. But I can still tell you that even with that small entry into the fraternity, there are relationships that were built uh, decades ago, I will say, and they still last today. There is a lot of benefit from having your fellow sisters and brothers, so to speak, uh, from those fraternal organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, the event is happening on February 20th from 6 to 7, an online event. Do you have a final thought about uh, the Divine Nine, the history of black fraternities and sororities? Yeah, if you've, I think if you've just ever been curious about what they are or what they do in communities and how they work um, to provide service in their communities, this is a great opportunity just to learn a little bit more.
It's all about greater service and greater progress. She's Kathy McClear, the state director for AARP Minnesota, and you're listening to New Beginnings. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and joining us now is John Schwartz. He's the president of the Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse. John, hello and welcome back. Hey, Freddie. Thank you very much for having me. I have a fundamental question for you, John. What is elder financial abuse? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, how I'll answer that, uh, Freddie, is first of all, it's a predator crime. I, I don't call it a, a family matter, a civil matter, or a bad investment. What I do call it is a financial predator that targets the most vulnerable elderly and then uh, start exploiting uh, them using their various uh, uh, tax vectors to steal either a portion or all of their life savings. But it's a predator attack. Predator attack. So how do they go about this? Is Do they run into you at the mall or something like that and uh, size you up? How does it work? Uh, that's a great question. So what happens, uh, Freddie, you have two types of predators. You have hide in the shadows predators and hide in plain sight. So these hide in plain sight uh, predators, these are the, some of these individuals will run Ponzi schemes and they'll meet, they'll hold uh, seminars. They'll uh, bring you into these seminars and then they'll offer you their incredible investments. Uh, one predator I want to uh, uh, highlight is uh, Scott Cohen, and not ver- very few people have heard of uh, Scott Cohen. He pled guilty August 18th, 2022, to a 10-year sentence after stealing a $300 million through a Ponzi scheme that targeted retirees and military pension holders. And in this scheme, he was able to exploit more than 13,000 veterans through exploitative uh, loans. So that's wow. just one example of an attack vector, a Ponzi scheme, which in my research I'm finding is to be very, uh, very effective. But I want the listeners to know there's an individual by the name of Scott Cohen who was capable of stealing $300 million and targeting the elderly. So you say, you're saying he successfully stole $300 million? Yeah, absolutely. So if uh, your uh, listeners go to our website on the very front page, I have featured content and uh, his stories there. And uh, if they click on that, they'll come to the Department of Justice press release dated August 18th that describes the title of it is California man receives 10 year sentence following guilty plea in South Carolina to fraud conspiracy. And then uh, following at that, it says masterminded $300 million Ponzi scheme targeting retirees and military pension holders. So, yeah, this guy's out there and we make this information readily available for all your listeners. You mentioned uh, to me the other day about uh, uh, Doc Gallagher, who was also in radio. It makes me kind of concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up. You should be uh, concerned. So Doc Gallagher is also on our uh, website. Uh, he was uh, sentenced, I believe, uh, November 1st, uh, 2021, to three life terms, but he only stole $32 million. So you can go to my website and you can compare and contrast. But let's talk about Doc Gallagher. He was on Christian radio in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he effectively stole $32 million from approximately 190 individuals by uh, putting himself out on the Christian radio, as well as going around various churches. So, yeah, that's he used the same technique as uh, Scott uh, Cohen, a Ponzi scheme, a little bit different ways of uh, reaching out to the most vulnerable elderly. So what do we do, uh, John, to stop this kind of abuse? How do we protect ourselves? 
I tell you what, the first uh, suggestion that, that I have is for the elderly and their family members to get together and conduct a uh, risk assessment. The elderly in the mid-60s, married, still has a spouse, and they're active uh, three, four days a week playing golf, going to church. They're at low risk. But you take that person and you compare it to an individual in their mid-70s, maybe lost a spouse, uh, kids don't live uh, close by, and now they're somewhat isolated. Now they're at a higher risk. And the reason I say conduct this assessment, because that's exactly what the predators do. And then once you realize, once you assess yourself through the risk assessment, then take appropriate measures. Please visit the website. I have educational material on that. If you feel that yourself or a family members at high risk, spend 15, 20 minutes taking a look at the information I have. And maybe that will help you develop your own strategies to protect uh, your, your loved one. So tell us the website again, and how can we get in contact with you? Uh, thank you. So our website is endefa.org, and I'll spell it. It's E-N-D-E-F-A.org. So please visit the website. Uh, there's a, a button to contact me, and uh, if you, re- you want to reach out to me, reach out through the website. All right, John, I can't thank you enough, and thank you for raising our antennas about elder financial abuse. You, you've got me really concerned. Let's talk again real soon. Thank you, Freddie. Okay. It's really an honor having you with us this weekend. And right now, I've got some information from the lighter side of my desk. Scientists have discovered at least four new species of octopus near Costa Rica. Officials from the Schmidt Ocean Institute announced the discoveries, saying that an international team of scientists uncovered a new species during two expeditions last year. The scientists were looking at seamounts off the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. Scientists say more than 300 deep-sea specimens were collected from the expeditions. And Panera Bread caffeinated charred lemonade drinks were at the center of another lawsuit. A woman filed a lawsuit in Delaware alleging that she suffers long-term and permanent cardiac issues after drinking charged lemonade. According to the lawsuit, the woman drank two and a half charged lemonades and started experiencing symptoms like body shakes, heart palpitations, and shortness of breath. And kids dressed up as animals could be removed from Oklahoma public schools by animal control. That's under a new bill. It takes aim at a subculture called furries. There are people who wear costumes and act like cats and dogs. The legislation would prevent anyone wearing animal outfits from participating in school curriculum or school activities. Similar bills have been tried and failed. This is the first to include the animal control provisions. And here are four things that you may not have known yesterday. Even though he's been gone for decades, Elvis Presley still makes no less than $30 million a year, and in some years, over $100 million. In 2023, around 848 million movie tickets were sold in North America. 2.1 Lego elements are manufactured every hour. And number four, stewardesses is the longest word that is typed with only the left hand. And here are a few thoughts to take with you for the rest of the weekend. Band-Aids are stickers you earn for being not so bright. Nothing is on fire. Fire is on things. And at some point, you'll reach the halfway point in your life without even realizing it. I'm Freddie Bell from The Lighter Side, and this is New Beginnings. 
Get the most from AARP, including advice and support to help you care for your loved ones. Fraud prevention with tips and tools to help protect you from scams and fraud, including a free helpline if you've been targeted, a scam tracking map, and watchdog alerts via email through the AARP Fraud Watch Network. If you don't know AARP, you don't know ARP. More information at AARP.org. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. And I create. I thought, what is most essential to me in this situation that I've been granted a reprieve? a second chance. And I thought, what are the basics? And for me it was, I exist. I am. And what does that mean? For Myrtle, I am a child of God. Therefore, I am not created with sickness. I am created in wholeness. For me, it was just that heartfelt feeling. Thank you, God. I exist. I'm still alive. Later, and in the coming weeks, we'll look at this essential idea, I experience. I have the privilege of taking in from this world wonderful sensations information, if you will, experiences, relationships with others. And then that final lesson, I create. What am I going to make out of all of this? Well, being a good Unity student, of course, I turned to Charles Fillmore. He had a classic saying, and A few years ago, when I served on Unity's credentialing team, and all that means is that I interviewed folks who wanted to join the ministerial education program and become Unity ministers, and I would interview them, or after they started, interview their progress as they moved along. And one of the classic questions was, what did Charles Fillmore mean by the pivotal soul? And some would launch right in it. They really got it. And others were like, uh, uh. It's very simple. Charles said, our soul nature pivots like the hinge of a door. It can look out on the world and take it all in. Or it can pivot into its own reality. And between those two activities, one creates life, meaning, value, purpose. This first lesson, I exist, is the classic teaching of unity. 
and other organizations. It actually comes from 19th century theosophy or divine wisdom. And recognizing the human being as having three components. Spirit, soul, and body. I remember teaching this often in unity, and one woman in New York told me when I was working there, she said, oh, oh, I finally get it. She said, I grew up all my life in another church. I don't remember which brand. And the word soul and spirit were just synonyms to me. They meant the same thing. There was no distinction. She said, now I have an understanding that in this concept as unity presents it, spirit is the eternal truth within us. As our early teacher Emily Cady described it, the spirit in you never ages, that's a comforting thought, is never hurt, can never be sick. It's what Mr. Fillmore called the perfect idea of being that God implanted in you, like a master plan, like your spiritual DNA. It is that essential power if you remember it and act in confidence from that truth. I am. Many of you have heard that in unity we consider I am our divine name because it is speaking or declaring the truth in us and we should therefore be careful what we connect with it. Charles would almost chastise his listeners in Kansas City a century ago. He said, you walk around saying, I am weak, I am poor, I am sick. He said, how do you expect to experience a good life? You're constantly using your divine name and connecting it to negatives. Connected to the truth. I am God's creation. I am alive. I exist. Myrtle Film had a habit that I think is quite charming, but it's also telling. When she would walk around Unity headquarters, and toward the end of her life, they had about 600 employees. So it was a good-sized operation. And people were always coming up and saying, Mrs. Fillmore, how are you this morning? Her response, I am. Mrs. Fillmore, how are you doing today? I am. How many have the habit when asked, how are you today? Well, (laughs) I've been better. I'm under the weather. But she practiced this thought because she practiced her thoughts and her words and her actions to keep them in line with the truth of her being because she knew that was the power that healed, prospered, guided, led her into ever greater experience of life and to help for others. 
So she said, I learned to watch my words. So when asked, how are you today? I am. My words, I exist. That this spirit in me is always with me. Always my source. Always my guide. It's a tool that we can all turn to. I want to share a story from the Gospel of John, excuse me, Gospel of Mark. You've probably heard it before, but it's worth hearing over and over again. And I'm thrilled today that Sarah Barnaby is in the room because she wrote a play that many of us, about 24 of us, put on in this very room in 2018, and somebody said, that's six years ago. How could it be so long? But we enacted a story of the telling of the gospel of of Mark by a group of people who were held hostage in a southern mansion by a roaring hurricane outside. And so to choose their focus, they told and eventually enacted these stories from Mark's gospel. The gospel considered to be most to the point, most dramatic. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it takes control, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered, you faithless generation. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the senior minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. It's National Hot Chocolate Day. It warms up people across the country by celebrating the timeless cold weather beverage. We often use the term hot chocolate and hot cocoa interchangeably. However, the two beverages are different. This thick, creamy beverage has been around for a long time. The Mayans likely created the first chocolate beverage 2,000 years ago. The Aztecs also included a cocoa beverage as an essential part of their culture by 14 AD. Today, hot chocolate can be enjoyed in a variety of combinations topped with whipped cream or marshmallows. Sometimes a sprinkle of cinnamon or a dash of peppermint makes the chocolate extra special. There are health benefits to drinking hot chocolate, too. Cocoa contains significant amounts of antioxidants that may help prevent cancer. Studies have shown that the flavonoids in chocolate may have a positive effect on arterial health and memory. Today is National Hot Chocolate Day. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.